Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Now let me just say a a little bit about Leviticus. It picks up where Exodus left off. And uh, the name Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. The Levites were the tribe of Levi. Moses and Aaron were from this tribe. And as you read, you understand that God set this tribe apart for the purpose of serving as priests and serving as Levites to administer in the service of the tabernacle for the nation of Israel. Now, when we get to Leviticus, we find that the people of God ultimately were camped at Mount Sinai. If you remember, Mount Sinai was where God gave the law to Moses, where the Ten Commandments and the law were given to him. And they really camped there for about a year. And uh, and it was during this time, of course, that, that God gave them Leviticus that he might that they might know. And, and we'll point this out as we go along. But a couple of very important things we see in the book of Leviticus. How holy God is and how sinful we are. How sinful people are. And what God has done to make reconciliation possible. So I want you to look with me at five truths, and we're just going to take a whirlwind tour through the book of Leviticus. And I I should have said earlier, this is different, uh, again, how we normally uh, preach uh, the Word of God. We typically take a text, uh, perhaps through a book of the Bible, one at a time, and I'm looking forward to getting to the next book, and I won't tell you yet where it is, but I believe the Lord's put it on my heart, and I'm excited about it. So this is different, but we're going to look at Leviticus today. So notice five truths. The first one is God is holy and cannot allow sin in his presence. God is holy and cannot allow sin in his presence. By the way, we had an outline uh, that we prepared that has all the blanks filled in. You may have gotten one of those as you came in. You can either take notes, but I've got a lot to share this morning, so I wanted you to be able to have all the information. Uh, Again, God's holiness, as we've said, is, is probably the primary theme in Leviticus. The word holy or holiness is used over 90 times in the book of Leviticus. And the word holy means to be set apart, to be different. And God says of himself over and over again in the book of Leviticus, I am holy. He says we're to be holy as he is holy. And you know, we we notice something. I want you to look with me at Leviticus 1.1. It says the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying. So he spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting. Well, again, what was the tent of meeting for? The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, was a place to meet with God. But Moses is on the outside. And I believe this is very important even in its language to us. Uh, God has uh, created it for this purpose, but we saw back in chapter 40, just one page over there in Exodus, down to verse 35, it says, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud was the Shekinah glory of God, the manifestation of God's presence, and Moses couldn't enter. Again, a reminder of the holiness of of God and the sinfulness of, of man. 
Uh, and, and so something happened. I want you to turn over with me to Leviticus 10. I'm going to move over a little further. I want to share with you an illustration, an incident. There, are, By the way, Leviticus, unlike some of the other five books uh, that we will be looking at, is not uh, near as much a narrative. There's not as much story that takes place. A lot of it is uh, instruction and not so much uh, a narrative. But, but this is one of the incidents that took place in the book of Leviticus. And it probably is troubling to a lot of people. Leviticus chapter 10, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now you may say, what is going on here? Well again, this illustrates for us the holiness of God. God has given these priests, Aaron and his sons, uh, these special instructions on how to approach him. And one of the phrases and one of the instructions you see Moses often speaking to, to Aaron and to the other priests is, you know, take these precautions so that you do not die. Because, again, God is such a holy God. And so what did these fellows do? They decided they would come in before God on their own terms. You know, you ever run across people on the job, maybe in your family, that come up with a better idea? Well, guess what? We don't ever come up with a better idea than God has. Do you agree with that? So, but they thought they did. They thought, well, let's do it this way. We're not told all the details of it, but they offer, they tried to offer something that God had not prescribed. And so they died. God sent this fire to consume them, and they died. And man, even Aaron, they couldn't even take them out. They had to stay in, had to have some family members come in and get their bodies out of there. It was such a serious matter. And so what is God doing? Why did God do that? Again, because they failed to treat God as holy. It was very important that the people understand because if that began a practice of, hey, we tried it this way, we like our idea better than God's, we're going to do it this way, well, let's change it a little bit more. And so God wanted right up front to establish to them that they did not have permission or blessing to do that and that God had a purpose for what he was doing and that God is a holy God. He was warning Aaron. He was warning the other priests. He was warning all the people. And he's warning us today. God is holy. And folks, he's still holy. God is holy and sin is serious. Sin is serious. I think if there's a message today that God has spoken to my heart by being immersed this week in the book of Leviticus, it is again that God is holy and sin is serious. You might look at that and say, boy, I'm glad we live today in the New Testament. Aren't you glad God's not like that anymore? God's still God. God is still holy. Sin is still serious. You want to know how serious sin is? If you want to know the ultimate, this is a good story, and there are a number of other stories in the Bible. 
I mean, we could go uh, over there to da when David, when the guys tried to, you know, grab the cart, you know, and, and use it. He died on the spot. And then you come over to the New Testament, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied, and guess what happened? They died. I mean, God still God. Sin is still serious. But, but the greatest illustration of the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross. How serious is sin? So serious. How holy is God? So holy that it required the death of His precious Son. God, man, died for us, took our sin upon Himself. That's how serious sin is. And that's why it's so serious that God could not even look upon His Son. And on the cross, He cried out, the Lord Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because again, He was experiencing the holy wrath of God upon Himself on the cross, dear friend, because of the seriousness of sin. Do you recognize today the holiness of God? Do you recognize today in your own life the seriousness of sin? Second, I want you to see from Leviticus that God is love and has made fellowship with Him possible. God is love and has made fellowship with Him possible. Don't walk away from the book of Leviticus or any book of the Old Testament and say, God is mean in the Old Testament. I'm glad he, He's nice now. No, don't think that, dear friend. Again, recognize God is love. Remember why He created man in the first place. Not because He was lonely, but again, He did desire fellowship. He wanted to fellowship with us. And, and so, dear friend, God, as we said, established a tabernacle so that He could meet with His people. He came to tabernacle among His people to be a tent dweller, if you will, among His people to identify with Him. And it was the place of worship where sacrifices were to be offered and, and where fellowship was made possible. And so, so as we, one of the things we see prominent in the book of Leviticus are these sacrifices and sacred days that God set up to make this uh, to make this possible to be able to fellowship with him to worship him and fellowship with him now I want to just say a few things about that first of all some some of the sacrifices that God set up uh, were for the provision of cleansing to make cleansing possible and there were three kinds of offerings we'll just briefly look at these there was first uh, first of all uh, there was um, the burnt offering, and over in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3, we, we read about the, the burnt offering. He says there, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it into the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So this burnt offering, obviously here, and we read all the descriptions of it here and all that took place, but it was for the purpose of, of uh, being acceptable before the Lord. And so that was very important. There was another one called uh, the sin. Some call it the purification offering. And over in chapter 4, uh, that's uh, described, this, this uh, sin or purification offering. Down in verse 13, it says if the whole congregation, this was individual, but also uh, for the whole congregation, it says if the congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and that's an important word, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do, uh, and they, uh, and they do any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done. That the Lord, by the Lord's commandments, ought not to be done. 
And they realize their guilt when the sin which they have committed becomes known. The assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. And the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So again, this was the sin or purification. And again, often you read with this that these words, it's unintentional sin. Now what does that say to us? And it shows us certainly one thing that ignorance about sin is no excuse. We say that concerning the law, but it's true for our lives as believers. And what else should it say to us? It should say to us, that's why we need to know the Word of God. That's why we need to know God and why we need to know what is offensive to God and what is sin before God so that we can be clean and be right and, and study God's Word. There was another of this offering for cleansing, and that was the guilt or the restora uh, restoration, uh, restitution offering. And this offering, uh, we can read about that in chapter 6, uh, 4 through 7. This offering not only required sacrifice, but it also required restitution toward God and others. In other words, not only were they to get right with God, but if, when they had wronged others, they were to also get right with them. I think about Zacchaeus over in the New Testament when he came to the Lord Jesus and was saved. And uh, the first thing he wanted to do was to restore, to, to give to the poor, but also to restore uh, five times, even beyond what God required here, which was typically a fifth of what you had taken. Uh, so, so God did a work in his heart, and he wanted to restore uh, to, even to those to whom he had wronged. So some, some sacrifices are for the purpose of cleansing. But second, notice some sacrifices were for worship of God. And there's several that we'll look at. There is, first of all, the grain offering. And over in chapter 2, he says, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this offering, the grain offering, uh, was for the purpose of just worship. You know, it wasn't to, to say, God, I repent, I'm sorry, but just to come and to say, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to thank you and I want to praise you. And so, so it was a sweet smelling fragrance. That's what the frankincense is all about here. And, uh, and so, um, so it was for this, for this purpose to worship and express gratitude. Another of these was the peace or fellowship offering. In chapter 3 down to uh, verse uh, 16, uh, we, uh, we see this particular offering. It says, uh, uh, and, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. So again, this was a, a peace offering, a fellowship offering. Uh, it was for the purpose of, uh, of thanking God for the reconciliation that we have with Him, for the peace that we have with Him. Uh, and also, it was an offering that was to be, the, the food was to be eaten. It was to be eaten there in the tabernacle and even to be shared with others. That reminds us, I believe, that again, something that we do and some think we do an awful lot of it. And that is to fellowship together, to, to, to praise God together and enjoy a meal together. That's a biblical practice 
That's what they were doing here. So again, it reminds us that when we have peace with God and the peace of God, we share that with others. It's His peace with, uh, with Him that enables us to have peace and fellowship with others of God's people. And so they did this in the Old Testament as well. But then move on to see the sacred days. Uh, God set up a calendar. These sacred days, they served as a reminder of God's provisions. And you read about these in the book of Leviticus. There were a number of them. Uh, there was, uh, again, among the sacred days, there was the Passover. We know we saw that from the book of Exodus to remind them of God's deliverance. The unleavened bread, the, the, the feast of the tabernacles, Pentecost, first fruits, the day of atonement, the feast of trumpets. And these were to serve as a reminder to them, and you can read all about them there in the book of Leviticus, really in, in uh, chapters 23 to 27. And it tells all about these various feasts that God just gave them as reminders. Why? Because we so quickly forget, do we not? And so they need to be reminded. We do that as believers. We'll see that in a moment. We do that as a nation. We have special days just to remember and, and to celebrate. And so they were celebrating the goodness of God. And that's important for us as believers as well. But then notice number four, as we think about again Christ in the book of Leviticus, I want us to see that Christ fulfills all the sacrifices and the sacred days. We saw that back in chapter Luke 24, 44, that, the, that Jesus said He fulfilled all these things that were spoken of Him. And these feast days, these sacred days, these sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus. And He fulfilled all of them. Just to give you an example, the, the Feast of first fruits. what was it about? It was for celebrating... The, the, the produce and the way that God had blessed them and provided for them. And they were to continue to do that as a people to celebrate God's gift of the promised land, His abundance in providing for them. And they were to give of the first fruits, the first part of the harvest that came forth. If you can think about you gardeners, when, uh, when that first part of your, your uh, garden comes in, imagine you don't go in there and make yourself a tomato sandwich. You take that to the Lord, okay? Well, they gave the first of their harvest to be a, a, a thank offering to the Lord, but also to, to be a reminder uh, of, of God's ability to provide for them. It was a step of faith in a way that they believed God was going to continue to provide. He was going to bring more uh, of the harvest. And that's a picture, uh, Scripture, I believe, teaches us in the New Testament. It's a picture of Jesus. He fulfilled this in the resurrection. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus fulfills the sacrifices and sacred days. But number five, I want you to see also that Christ has given us reminders of His provision, of His sacrifice. How did He do that? Well, I was thinking as I read through Leviticus, boy, I'm glad we don't have all those things to remember. The Lord uh, primarily gives us the remembrance of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That is what we're to remember. And how do we do that? We do that through baptism. When believers, new believers are baptized, they picture their identity with Christ. Jesus' death 
his burial, his resurrection. They also picture uh, their identity with Christ in his death. That they've died with Christ. They've been buried. They've been raised. And so uh, that's what baptism's about. And that's what the Lord's Supper is for. The Lord Jesus gave this to us. Every time we come together, we, we remember his body, his perfect sinless body that bore our sin on the cross. And the fact that he was buried and that he rose again. And we, we celebrate his precious blood through the cup that his blood, his sinless blood was cleansed for us to make it possible for us to be forgiven. So we praise God for his his reminders uh, of what he's done for us. I want you to think with me just, just a moment today about what these people were doing and they're preparing to meet with God. What God was doing because God desired their worship. God desired a relationship with them. But you know what? There are other places in the Old Testament <clears throat> that we read that God became weary of people just going through the motions. Just bringing their sacrifices. Just offering up their, their, their blood sacrifices. Their lambs and their bulls and their goats. That God became weary of this. And even their offerings were no longer a fragrant sacrifice to Him. Why? Because they were just going through the motions. They were just going through the rituals. And because there was nothing of the heart. And there was no heart preparation. And so God said, don't do that anymore. God got sick of that. And folks, I want you to know, in the New Testament application to us today, the same thing can happen to us. We can come week after week, and we can fail to truly, we can go through the motions, we can go through the rituals, but we can fail to truly prepare our hearts to meet with God. I want to ask you this morning, do you prepare your heart to meet with God? I'll get a little more personal. Asked you to raise your hand, but did you prepare to meet with God today? Did you prepare your heart by making sure your sins were confessed up to date, that you were cleansed and you were right and you were ready? Did you prepare yesterday by reading the Word of God and spending time with God? Did you prepare this morning? Did you come saying, God, show me Christ today? I'm coming to bring to you the gifts of praise and worship and coming into your presence? Or did you just go through the motions today? I want to urge you, think about that. Prepare your heart. It's so important that just as these people had to be prepared, that we must be prepared as we come into the presence of God. Third, I want you to see God's people need a mediator to come before God on their behalf. God's people need a mediator to come before God on their behalf. Uh, we see this basically uh, about the priest. A lot is said about the priest. In, in Leviticus 8 through 10, uh, we see about the setting apart of the priest, the consecration of the priest. And in 21 and 22, we see about how important it was that their walk be right as well, their lives be clean and pure. Uh, and the priest at this time, again, included Aaron and his, as high priest and his sons who were priests. They were mediators, if you will, uh, for the people. And, uh, and they offered sacrifices as they would uh, bring their sacrifices that the people would bring them, pre prescribed by God. Another part of their ministry, you look about it in, in Leviticus 10, 10 and 11, it also says there that the priest had the responsibility to teach the people the oracles of God. 
They were to teach the, the, the Word of God to the people. So that was a, an important role. Uh, when they weren't offering up sacrifices, they were to be teaching people. And so what an important role that they had as well. Notice, first of all, concerning the priest that were serving as mediators. The priest had to be holy before the Lord. And uh, look, look, if you will, over to chapter 8 and uh, verses uh, 14 through 17. It says, Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it. And Moses took the blood and with his finger put, put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung, he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. So again, what was this all about? And, and we read a great deal more about it. What was it all about? It was because the priest had to be holy before the Lord. Again, these numerous steps they had to go through uh, was to make certain that they were, they were clean and pure and right before the Lord as much as possible so that they wouldn't die as Nadab and Abihu had. And so they had to go through this because they were sinners too. But they had to be made as pure and clean as possible. And the second thing I want you to see as we think about Christ and the application here is that Christ is our sinless high priest forever. Christ is our sinless high priest. Uh, Hebrews 7, 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Christ is the perfect and sinless high priest. He was pictured in these high priests and priests, but, but he is the perfect and sinless high priest. And then third, I want you to see that all believers in Christ are priests with full access into his presence. These fellows, only these guys could go in and they had to go through all these various things uh, to be prepared. Uh, the high priest, as we're going to see, could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But the Bible teaches us that now uh, we have access to the Lord. Uh, some may have special roles as pastors uh, and to serve the body of Christ, but the Bible says all of us are priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the privilege today as believer priests of always having access to the throne of God. We are to intercede uh, on behalf of others as we pray for them. But also we too have the responsibility as priests, as believer priests, of proclaiming the gospel, the message to a lost world who desperately needs Christ, as well as teaching the word of God to fellow believers. Each of us has that responsibility before the Lord. I want to just uh, urge you to think about this. You know, uh, none of us got a, an invitation to the royal wedding. But you know what? We have full access to the throne of God 
through Christ. And the Bible says not only can we come, but we can come boldly. Because why? Because we come in Christ. We are now through Christ able to enter in, to enter in not flippantly, not arrogantly, absolutely not, but nonetheless with freedom of speech because we're in His royal family forever. Amen. So I want to ask you today, are you appropriating your privileges as a believer priest, but also are you appropriating and carrying out your responsibilities? But number four, I want you to see God's people are called to walk in holiness. God's people are called to walk in holiness. Now again, another aspect about the book of Leviticus you see is there are a great deal of laws that are there. And you, again, you've maybe read those and scratched your head and said, why was this necessary? Well, there were basically two types of laws. There were the ritual laws and there were the moral laws. And just to say a little bit about this, first of all, the ritual laws, we see those in chapters 11 through 15, they had to do with what made you ceremonially clean or pure before the Lord. And they warned against being un, not, not being unclean. Uh, and there were certain animals that they could not, uh, could not eat. They were considered unclean, and to eat them would make you unclean. And, uh, and then there were other normal things like childbirth and marital relations and touching uh, dead bodies or having diseases like leprosy and others, that those things made you unclean. Now, it wasn't that those things were sinful. It's just that it was important that people understand that they had to be clean and pure and right in order to enter God's presence. And, and I believe God was saying that through them, and certainly there's things we can learn from that, but even though we're not under that, that, those laws anymore, but the point I believe is being made again that God wanted His people to be set apart in every area of their lives. And to know that God's Word, God's truth, uh, God's presence is to impact every part of our life, our daily living. He's not just interested in what we do on Sunday. God wants to be a part of and Lord in every area of our life. Secondly, the moral laws set his people apart from other nations. This is in chapters 18 to, to 25. And you turn over with me to chapter 19. We'll look at just a little bit of this. These laws regulated things like marriage and sexual purity and social justice. In chapter uh, 19, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, for example, these are just some of the kinds of laws that God talked about. He said, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall, uh, you shall, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. God was teaching them there that they were not to treat people and take advantage of people because of their physical impairments. On the other hand, and uh, he says they're, they're not to show partiality and judgment on someone because they are poor. We would typically think show judgment and partiality because someone is rich. He said don't, don't show partiality because they're poor either. And then in, uh, again, uh, chapter uh, 19, uh, notice chapter 19, verse 18. And a word that you may be surprised if you didn't know was in, in the book of Leviticus. He said, uh, you shall uh, take, uh, not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Someone said this must have been Jesus' favorite verse, if that's possible. 
He quoted this often in his ministry. The Lord Jesus uh, taught this and quoted this. In fact, out of, uh, out of his teaching ministry, we know, of course, that uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan came largely from this. And he showed us in this parable that, that, uh, that our, our enemy uh, may be, excuse me, our neighbor may be our enemy. And we're to love our enemy. Je Jesus said, don't just love your, those, uh, just don't love your friends, but love your enemies too. And that's who Jesus teaches us. And he teaches us this should, should govern every relationship that we have. Loving our neighbor as ourself. So the moral law set his people apart from other nations of the world. But I want you to see thirdly that Christ makes us holy inwardly and outwardly. Jesus, again, is the one who desires and calls us and commands us rather to be holy when he saves us he cleanses us and he makes us holy within he cleanses us inwardly so that we can be holy outwardly in first peter 1 15 and 16 quoting this uh quoting the book of leviticus he says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Remember what we said being holy is? It means being set apart. It means being different from the world. Because when Christ enters us, He changes us. Let me ask you this today. How would you feel about it if someone called you holy? Or let me ask another way. Is there anything about your life that people would refer to you as being holy? Different, set apart, bringing glory to the Lord Jesus? Why? Or, why not? But I want you to see finally from Leviticus, and we're going to move back to the middle of the book now, Leviticus chapters 16 and 17. And that is this wonderful news that God provided a substitutionary atonement for sin. These chapters are appropriately right in the center of the book of Leviticus because it highlights our greatest need, atonement. The word atonement means to cover. And this word is used some 45 times in the book of Leviticus. It's used from the very beginning, but there's something different about this day called the Day of Atonement. The, the, the Jews still celebrate it today, Yom Kippur. And, and that's what it means, the Day of Atonement. It was not like any other of the sin offerings. Notice a couple of things about this. First of all, the Day of Atonement was an annual event indicating its inability. Look, if you will, at chapter 16. Uh, we'll just read several verses here. 16, verse 6. 16, Six. It says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which he, the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So what is happening here? Well, again, on this, this special day, the same day, the same day celebrated year after year, 
He was the priest, high priest was to prepare himself and, and he was to choose the, these goats, these two different goats. He was to have this bull that was also to be slain. And he was to go in with the, the blood of, of one of the, of the bull and one of the goats that was chosen. And he was to first of all offer up the blood for himself, uh, for the bull rather, uh, to rep represent the cleansing of his own sin. And, uh, and, and then he was to offer up the, the blood of the goat, and this was to be poured out on, the, on the, uh, the, the mercy seat. And this was on behalf of the people. He only did this one time a year. And he, he would enter into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people to offer up this sacrifice for the forgiveness or the cleansing uh, of their sin. And uh, he was to go through that again uh, uh, because, again, by this time, the people were probably up to a couple of million people. And there were a lot of people. And, and so this is on behalf of the entire nation he was to offer up this, uh, this sacrifice. Uh, then he was to come out and, and to place, uh, confess over the, the goat as he laid his hands on them and on the goat. And to confess over the goat, the, uh, the other goat, the live goat, the sins of the people. And then the goat was released and sent out into the wilderness. And that was a picture. It was called the scapegoat. And this was a picture of how God removes our sin. He removes our sin and it doesn't return. Amen. He takes it away. And that's what God was doing in the, in the atonement, covering the sin sin or picturing the covering of the sin of the people and in the scapegoat picturing the removal of, of our sin and, and so this was something he would do year after year after year and Hebrews 10 3 and 4 says but in these sacrifices there's a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins you say, well, then why was God doing this? If, it, if, if he, this wasn't taking away their sins, what was He doing? He was pointing ahead to one who would take away their sins. He was pointing ahead to one who would offer up His precious blood as the one who could atone for sin. And He was picturing again how Jesus one day would, would make possible our, the forgiveness of our sin to, be, to, to take our sins away, never again to return again. And so that leads us then to Christ's atonement. Second point, Christ's atonement for, for sin is a finished work. Christ's covering for our sin is a finished work. Do you remember on the cross what Jesus said? From the cross, Jesus cried out to tell us that it is finished, paid in full. And Hebrews 10, 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God and Mark 10, 45 says, for, every, for even the Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Ransom means uh, a, a sacrifice of atonement. Jesus is our perfect high priest. He's entered in one time and He's offered up Himself. He's not only the perfect high priest, He's the Lamb of God who's offered Himself up for the cleansing of our sin. Jesus did for us on the cross what no lambs or goats or bulls could do. What no other high priest could do. He atoned for our sins once and forever. And dear friend, we 
today who are His children who've repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ have received His atonement, His covering, if you will, for our sin. How does that happen? It happens as we recognize our sinfulness, as we repent of our sin, as we place our faith in Him and what He did for us. Then again, He then is our substitute, our substitutionary Lamb who provides for us the atonement with God and makes it possible for us to be right with God. So I ask you today, have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you called on Him in repentance and faith? Again, these two important truths we come back to today that we take from the book of Leviticus is how holy God is and how sinful we are. The holiness of God, someone illustrated it, is like the sun. You know, you, it's impossible to move close to the sun. What happens? Well, things just burn up. Uh, it, the sun, there's nothing wrong with the sun. The sun is good. The sun is pure and it's, it's light. But we can't approach the sun. And the same thing is true of the holiness of God. And that's the, that's the message that's shouted from the book of Leviticus. The holiness of God. And yet God is love. And God does desire a relationship with us. God does desire that we know Him. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, friend, we can't see the Lord. We cannot have a relationship with God without holiness. We're not equipped with that. So it would appear that we're without hope. But praise God, we are not. That's why Jesus came. Because we don't approach God in our own merit. We approach God in the holiness of Christ. We approach Him having received the gift of Christ through repentance and faith. And therefore, we're able to know Him. We're able to worship Him. We're able to approach Him. We're able to fellowship with Him daily and to know Him in the right way. And that's why God calls us to repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ. And the result of that, the Bible says, is that we are then, as, as 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us, literally keeps on cleansing us from sin. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. Why so much blood? Because the Bible says there in chapter 17, the life is in the blood. And see, dear friend, the reason we can know God is because of the life of Jesus. Because the Bible says, if we have Christ, we have His very life. We are in Him, and His life is now our life. Do you know Him? Do you have the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life today? If not, dear friend, we are pleading with God to bring you to that place. If you are His child, I pray today that God will show you anew and afresh the holiness of God. You'll realize what a great and awesome and holy God that we have. It's made it possible that though we are sinners, we can now have a relationship with God through Christ. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. 
We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.